Well, good morning, everybody. I, I hope that you have come to church hungry to grow. You know, there's a lot of reasons to come to church. Some people just come because their wife told them they have to, or it's just kind of the routine. Those are not good enough reasons. I pray that you come saying, Lord, don't let me waste this time. I need to see you. I need to hear you. I need to be inspired to live differently as a result. That's what I'm, just so you know, that's what I'm praying for, that this would be a morning that God's truth would just grip us, change us. You know it's a bad day when you run out of gas on the side of the road, right? And you know it's a bad day when you run out of gas headed to a wedding, a wedding that you're officiating. Yes, yes, that's... My experience a few years ago, believe it or not, I was on 294, driving on a cold, wintry, snowy day, and the car started sputtering, and I'm like, no, this could not be happening. I I made it over to the shoulder of the road, and I got out of the car, and I was just holding my head going, Lord, this is a disaster. I'm supposed to be officiating shortly. Well... An angel, I don't know, maybe, but some guy pulled over on the side of the road and said, Hey, buddy, you okay? And I said, No, I'm not. I, I ran out of gas. And he said, Well, I was actually going to fill up with gas at an oasis, the next oasis. You hop in. So I jumped in his car and we drove. You know the oasis where you pull over on the side of the road? Well, I said to the gas station attendant, Hey, I need to buy a gas container. And they said, uh, We don't sell them. So I bought a gallon of milk and dumped it in the gutter and uh, filled up a gallon of milk with gas. And my friend who drove me was filling up his car and he said, hey, you know, we never talked. Do you have a way back to your car? And I'm like, not yet. (laughs) And he's like, get in, I'll drive you. And I'm like, I love you. Anyways, I got in his car. But here's the problem with an oasis. You can't turn around there. You know, you got to keep going the same direction. So we continue to drive away from my car till we get off at the first exit. And then he's like, I don't know, how are we going to get to your car? I don't want to go all the way on the other side of your car and come back. He said, let's see if I can get you close on side streets. And so we took side streets, and sure enough, there was a road that went over the expressway right where my car was on the side of the road. And he goes, I'm kind of in a hurry. Do you mind if I drop you off here? And I'm like, I'm grateful. Thank you. So I get out of the car in my suit and tie with my milk gallon of gas, and I'm standing on the top looking at this steep decline down to the expressway. It's snow. And I'm like, oh, oh boy. And I, I just got to try it. And my dress shoes were like skis. I found my, whoa, you know. And then I went flat on my back and ended up like a windmill. I'm sliding down the hill. Uh, I thought, I'm going to slide right onto the expressway. Thankfully, I, I stopped on the shoulder. But I had snow in my shirt and up my pants. And I am just miserable. Uh, and I'm like, I cannot believe this. I quickly go to my car, and I go to uh, pour the milk gallon of gas into the uh, gas tank, and it's just dumping all over the side. My car had this little metal flap in the hole, you know, that normally the thing would push open, and so none of it was getting in. So I pushed it open with my finger, 
and I tried to cup the gas, you know, and kind of slosh it in that direction. And I, I think I got about one-eighth of the entire gallon actually in the tank. The rest of it went down my arms and all over my legs. I was just soaked. But I got enough in it that it started up, and I made it to the oasis where I filled up with gas, got to the wedding uh, just as it was supposed to start. It was a mess. And I come barging into the church, you know, I got hair all over the place, and I reek of gasoline, and my coat is all wet and wrinkled. Is that a bad day? Oh, come on, that's a bad day. Here's the problem. Though your days may not be as dramatic as that, bad days abound. Problems abound. Right when you're just saying, can I just have a really smooth, easy day? You're reminded that you live on planet Earth, and they just don't work that way. Issues, problems, conflicts, failures abound around every corner. And some of us say, i got to figure out a way to make my life smooth and problem-free. Well, good luck. Tell me when you find that way, because my understanding, both of the Bible and from experience, is that we live on a planet that is filled with hardship and trials, and there's no way to avoid that. And the question becomes not how can I make my life perfect, but how can I learn to live a life of excellence in the midst of a problem-filled life? And that's what this series is all about. This series called Trials is about how to thrive in the midst of trials. Uh, We're studying five trials, literal courtroom dramas found in the Bible where groups of Christians appeared before the Supreme Court in Israel at the time, known as the Sanhedrin. And we're learning how God gave them graces that enabled them to get through those hardships. And today's talk is about the trial of the apostles. All 12 of the apostles were brought on trial before the Sanhedrin. And we're learning about the grace that can be expressed in this way. God fights for us. Oh, this one has been so meaningful to me. I hope you're blessed by it. We're turning to Acts chapter 5. Acts 5 is found in your... Bible on the seat back in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, uh, I give you permission to steal ours. Just take that one and write your name in it, call it your own. We want you to have a Bible. Page 1095, 1095. Acts 5.18 says this, They arrested the apostles, and they put them in the public jail. Apparently it was too late in the day to hold trial before the Sanhedrin on that day, so they too needed to sit in jail, and their trial would be the following day. Except that, look at this, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Unbelievable. I want to be there. Can you imagine these guys huddled up in the jail going, oh boy, here we go, and suddenly, Hey, everybody, it's an angel. And I don't know if he was glowing. Sometimes in the Bible, angels appear very much just like a normal human being. You can barely tell they're angelic, kind of like the guy on the side of the road that helped me get gas, you know? Who knows? But other times, angels are just glowing and fiery display. And so we don't know exactly, but they could tell this is not a normal guest. This is an angel. And the angel said, I have come to get you out of here. Follow me. 
And there was a jailbreak that day, orchestrated by an angelic servant of God. And this kind of cracks me up. The angel said, here's what you're to do. Now that you're out of jail, God wants me to convey to you instructions that you are to go to the temple courtyard and preach about Jesus. (laughs) And they're like, "Um, that's kind of what got us here in the first place. Are you sure you want us to just go back? Because we can tell you we're going to be right back here again. And the angel said, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. So they went to the temple courtyards again and started preaching. Now, it was awkward because in the morning when the Sanhedrin came together and they called upon the jailer to get the apostles, the jailer came back, you know, ah, ah, we have a problem. Uh, They're not there. Uh, Which one's not there? All 12 of them are gone. You know, and they were like, you're kidding me. How did this... Just then, someone came rushing into the Sanhedrin courtroom and said, I see them over at the temple courtyard again, doing it again, telling everybody about Jesus. So the guards rushed, arrested them for the second time, bring them into the Sanhedrin. The the guys of the Sanhedrin say, you know you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. And you know what their response is, their defense is? to talk about Jesus. They preach to the Sanhedrin guys the good news of life with Christ. The very thing that got them in trouble is what they do in front of the very judicial authority that holds their lives in their hands. And that's when the Sanhedrin gets ticked. Uh, Let's look at verse 33 of Acts 5. One day the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. Folks, the consensus of this court was guilty as charged, punishment, execution. The consensus was we should put all 12 of them to death. Let's just end this thing. Well, this is about lights out for the 12 disciples. But a guy saves the day, a member of the Sanhedrin. It says, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin. This Gamaliel was a powerful dude. Everybody respected him so much. He was brilliant, probably the smartest man in all the land. He was a professor of Bible and theology. He was wise, amazingly, and it's evidenced here by him standing up. You know, just as they're about to vote to execute all 12 of them, he stands up and he goes, quiet. And he orders the apostles to exit while he can speak in privacy to the rest of his fellow Sanhedrin members. And he he gives a speech. Everybody does what he says. Even though he's not the high priest, he's not Caiaphas, they all look to him with great respect. And he tells them all, guys, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? Be very cautious about how you handle this group. And he goes on to remind them of two historical cases. One where there was a uprising by a guy named Theodos. And he goes, remember Theodos? He had hundreds of people following him. We were all freaked out. Theodos died and the whole movement was dispersed and came to nothing. He goes, remember that? And then he brings up Judas the Galilean, not Judas, Jesus' disciple. It's a different Judas. He goes, remember Judas the Galilean? He too, he led this revolt. It was huge. It was Such a problem, but when he died, it all fizzled and came to nothing. 
And you're, you know, he's, he's saying, look, we just killed their leader, Jesus. His implication is, you know, this probably is all just going to fizzle on its own. Uh, look, look what he says. He says in uh, verse 38, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you in this way. Leave these men alone. Just let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fail. Just like Theodos and Judas. It, it'll, we don't need to kill them all. It'll just dissipate on its own. But look at verse 39. This is an awesome verse. He says, but, but if it is from God, if it happens to be that this is a God thing, I know none of you think it is, and I'm probably inclined to agree with you, but I don't know. And if it happens that we're all wrong and it's a God thing, you will not be able to stop these men. (laughs) You, the great and mighty Sanhedrin, the most powerful men in all the land, wealthy and wise beyond anybody else, won't be able to stop a ragtag bunch of fishermen and peasants. He said, let's just be honest. You won't be able to stop them. Why? Look at this next phrase. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. If it turns out that this Christian movement is a God thing, he said, do you want to end up fighting against God? I don't, Gamaliel says. Gamaliel says, I understand God. When he he says fighting against God, this fighting word is fascinating. He knows that God fights. The Bible, the Old Testament, he was very knowledgeable of. And in the Old Testament, again and again, the Bible says God is a fighter. Exodus 14 and 15, those chapters talk about, it says, God is a warrior. Wow. Wow that our God has kindled emotions, passion within him. He's not passive, meek and mild, just kind of watching the affairs of mankind, but he is kindled with passions to engage violently in the affairs of, of people. And God says, I fight for my own. I will fight for you, God promises in the Old Testament. Gamaliel knows this. He doesn't want to be fighting against God. Second Chronicles 20, God says, the battle belongs to the Lord, which is another way of saying, God says, you know your fight? Your fight? It's my fight. I fight for you, by your side. And Gamaliel understands this theological truth. And he says, guys, God's a fighter. I don't want to fight against him. Maybe you don't see God that way. I I have some uh, boxing gloves that just kind of help remind us of this main point, that God fights for you, all right? And my wife uh, freaked me out this week. She uh, was brought by a woman in our church to, you know, this exercise place right over here where people box, uh, I forget what it's called, but my my wife uh, is the most sweet and gentle, loving flower in the whole world. And yet she came back, and she's like, oh, this was great. And she, she comes up to me, and she's like, right, left, undercut. And I'm like, who are you, and what did you do with my wife? You know, this is freaking me out, because I don't see her that way. Do you see God that way? Because he's a fighter. God doesn't like passively standing by and letting things happen. 
He likes to get in the fray and get involved and fight for you. And here's what I would tell you. When you go through hardship or trials, to know that you're not alone and that God's in it with you and that your fight is his fight changes everything. Changes everything, if you can see that. You know, I I, uh, went with my family to Puerto Rico once. Uh, We were given free airplane tickets to go, and we had never been to Puerto Rico. We said, we got to do this. So we went to this beautiful resort. I met a guy at the pool. Huge! I mean, this guy was a giant and chiseled, you know, bodybuilder, clearly. I haven't seen muscles like that ever. And uh, he and I were talking, and Got to know each other. He found out I'm a pastor. He shared he was a brand new Christian. We really bonded. And I said, well, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and he said, I-, I am a professional fighter. I'm like, you're kidding me. Never met a professional fighter before either. Went on to share with me that he was in the Olympics with Taekwondo and that he meddled in the Olympics. And I'm like, this guy is a lethal weapon. I'm like, wow. My new friend. (laughs) He and his wife invited our family to go out to dinner with his family. He said, I know this restaurant in town and it's great. We wanted to so bad, but we were at the end of our trip and had plans and we couldn't take them up on it. But I thought, how different would that have been? We had already gone out of the resort once for dinner. And I have to confess to you, I was freaked out. In the resort, I felt very safe, but Puerto Rico's an impoverished culture where crime is very high. And in the town, when we went, you know, everybody's kind of looking at us, and I am supposed to be the guardian of my precious wife and children, you know. You know, and it's just, it wasn't a good situation at all. You know, I just felt very uneasy, a lot of muggings going on. But I thought, doggone it, I want to go out to dinner with my new friend. I want someone to mug us because, man, would that be fun, you know? Uh, I'm like, how different would it be this time, you know, to have this towering giant who is just trained to kill, you know? And I would have been, I was, if I had gone, I would have, like, taken out large amounts of cash from the ATM and just kind of waved it around. You know, darling, wear your jewelry out, you know? Let's, you know, just try to pick a fight here because... It changed everything. I would have been at ease and enthused knowing that the one who's with me would be committed to fight for me and far better than I could ever fight on my own. And that's how it is with God. When you have eyes to see the actual reality of your problem, truth is you have the almighty God by your side saying, hey, can I go with you? Can I fight for you? And that changes everything. Now, some of you may be a little annoyed right now saying, what do you mean God fights for us? Does he punch people? This fighting word is in some ways touching, but not real helpful as far as how does God fight? And that's a really good question. And what's interesting is that this very drama that we just read about the apostles, there is evidence in there of how God fights for his own. Can we go back? Can I show you some passages we've already read off and, and point out God fighting? 
Here, the, the first one, let's go back for a moment to verse 18. Remember, this is the one where it says the apostles were arrested, put in jail, and an angel of the Lord came and rescued them in the middle of the night. That's God fighting for them. They are in a world of hurt. They're arrested and in trouble. And God sends an angel to break them out of jail. That's God fighting for them. And I would describe this interaction of God as miraculous. Miraculous. Do you know what a miracle is? Well, I'll just give you a hint. If you're in jail and an angel shows up and opens the jail doors and ushers you out, that would qualify as a miracle. A miracle is when God's intervention supersedes natural law, when you can't explain what happened by natural means. That's a miracle. And admittedly, miracles are a little on the rare side. God doesn't do them all over every day in our lives, but God does them. And we should anticipate that one of the ways God will fight for us is he will do miracles. Jen and I, on Friday night, we had a couple over for dinner at our home, uh, go to our church, and this woman and her husband, they shared that a a year and a half ago, she was diagnosed, diagnosed with an awful disease, a disease of the liver, and they went to three different doctors to get three opinions. All of them said the same thing. There's nothing we can do. It's, it's a disease that can't be treated. All we can do is watch it progress. We wish we could give you better news. And they were devastated, as you can imagine. And they prayed and cried out for God's help and healing. And wouldn't you know, after some time, they went back to the doctor, and the doctor said, ah, I don't know what to tell you, but you don't have it anymore. They went to Mayo Clinic. They were so, uh, you know, confused. And the Mayo doctor said, you don't have this disease. You are perfectly healthy. And then they, they asked for, well, how can you explain three doctors diagnosing me with this? And they said, we don't know. We can't give you any explanation. All we can tell you is that you don't have it. That's the miraculous. God doesn't always heal and dive in and miraculously save the day. But sometimes he does. And we need to pray for it and say, Lord, I'm not telling you what to do, and I don't know if you're going to do the miraculous in this problem, but I'm going to ask for it because I know you have and still do miracles. Let's go to another way that God fights and saves the day. This was found in verse 33. Do you remember this passage? When they were rearrested and brought before the Sanhedrin again, this time they were ready to put them to death. But at just the moment, this guy named Gamaliel, who's well-honored, stands up and he gives this compelling argument that we're about to see wins the Sanhedrin over and they let him go. And I would say, look at God is fighting for them. He saved the day. And you say, that's not God. That was Gamaliel who saved the day. Gamaliel was God's agent to save the day. But I believe that those who have eyes of faith will recognize that God works behind the scenes, through the circumstances and people in our lives to bring about his rescue. You know what you call this? Providence. 
providence. This is miraculous. Miraculous is obvious. It's like, oh my, that, that has no other explanation other than God did a miracle. Providence is God orchestrating the circumstances of our lives to work to our benefit and to help us out. Now, the skeptic can say, oh, that was just coincidental or good luck or you're just fortunate Gamaliel was there. And the skeptic would be wrong. Because the hand of God is behind the scenes at work. And folks, unfortunately, I fear that a lot of times we don't even recognize the providence of God. We benefit from it all the time. Oh, I'm so fortunate that that happened. I'm so glad I had that conversation. And we need to say, no, that's God. He's fighting for me at work subtly behind the scenes. Oh, two and a half years ago now, I was, yeah, two and a half years ago, I was uh, having lunch with a dear friend of mine, pouring out my situation. Remember, I had been pastor of a church I had co-founded for 20 years. And this guy, out of the blue, responds to my, our conversation and says, I think you should leave your church. I think it's time for you to resign and make a change. And then he says, and I know where you're to go. He said, this week... Dale Hummel, previous pastor here at the Compass Church, resigned this week. And I say, isn't it unbelievable that 20 years, no one ever advised me with prophetic authority that I'm supposed to leave my church. And the same week that, that I was challenged in that way happened to be the week Dale resigned here. Some would say, coincidence. And I would say, providence. The hand of God. He as is at work fighting for us in ways we sometimes recognize, sometimes we don't. But I pray that God would help us see his activity behind the scenes. You know, my friend, God said, I'm going to move Jeff. Dale's moving him. I'm going to move Jeff in. Jeff will never come up with this on his own, so i got to bring him to lunch with a guy who will listen to me, and he'll just tell Jeff boldly. And Similarly, just as God spoke through my friend, God spoke through Gamaliel. Gamaliel wasn't even a Christian, and yet God used him to bring about his goodwill. So, one more. You ready? One more way God fights for us, and and this is found as we continue to read. I want to continue our passage. Verse 40 said this. His speech, that's Gamaliel's speech to the Sanhedrin. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in, and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now, is that a good verse? Good and bad. The good, obviously, is that they let them go, which is outstanding. But don't overlook the flogging. Flogging was awful. This was this ancient form of Roman torture where they would strip a person of their shirt and whip their bare back until it was shredded bloody meat. And laws guided the the soldiers and they would do it to the edge of death but were not allowed to go beyond death. And these poor 12 disciples, they've never experienced this before. They've never taken any physical abuse for the name of Jesus up until this point. This is the most awful experience of their lives. And how do they respond? Check this out. Next verse. 
the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. (laughs) Joy? Where is that coming from? God. Continues, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching. They never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer. Unbelievable. In this moment of immense, unprecedented hardship, These 12 rise up with high fives and joy, celebrating and persevering relentlessly in their proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. What's going on here? It's so interesting. Is God fighting by removing their pain? No, the the suffering, the flogging, he permitted. Sometimes God allows his children to experience the rough edge of this awful world. But is God active? Yes. The joy you see, the resilience you see, is an act of God. The word I'm going to use here is empowerment. God is not taking away the hardship of the circumstances, but empowering them from within to not only survive, but to thrive in the midst. Where are they getting this? They're getting it from God. He's doing a great thing. It's like the Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh, he describes in 2 Corinthians 12. And Paul cried out, God, please take away my problem. Three times Paul prayed, take away my problem. And God said, no. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God said, I'm not going to, in this case, I'm not going to remove the thorn. I'm not going to swoop in with a miracle and take it away. I'm not going to swoop in with providence and subtly solve everything. I'm going to let you endure, but God says, my power will meet you in your weakness and you will find strength to endure. And I've talked with folks in our church who've got cancer and I look them in the eye sometimes and I'll say, how are you doing it? And they're like, I don't know. But God is just enabling me to go each day and enjoy my family and enjoy life. And I'm like, that's a miracle of the Lord. And so God fights. God fights through miracles, through providence, and through empowerment. And you may ask, are you saying that he fights for everybody? No. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that. God does not fight for everybody. He only fights for his own, those who are following him. As evidenced by Gamaliel's speech when he talked about Theodos and he talked about uh, Judas the Galilean, these guys had movements that were not blessed by God's assistance and intervention. It all collapsed. It came to nothing. Why? Because they weren't following the Lord. It's those like the apostles who say, we will not listen to the Sanhedrin. We must obey God. Their commitment was to the Lord, and he fights for those who follow him. And so it's an important question to ask. Are you his? Have you trusted Christ as the forgiver of all your sins, your only hope? Have you trusted him as the leader of your life, saying, I must obey him? 
Those who are the Lord's, they enjoy him fighting for them every day through miracles, through providence, through empowerment. He fights for you. You're not alone. May he give you eyes to see his presence by your side, the fire in his eyes, and his passion and commitment for your well-being. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you. We want to thank you so much for what you did for these apostles. How cool is that, God? How you came to their rescue in those various ways. And God, help us to see that you do the same for us. Would you please open our eyes? We're missing it too much. We're oblivious, and we don't want to be oblivious. Open our eyes to see your presence, to sense your fury, to enjoy your love. And God, in our brokenness and our hardship, would you be active in all these ways? Please. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.